I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, a psychoanalyst based in Sweden who works with people internationally, and this is episode 236 of Rendering Unconscious Podcast. My guest today is Chawon Koo, a Korean-American witch who creates videos and articles on the intersection of a culture, futurism, and Korean culture. She's here to discuss her book, Spellbound, A New Witch's Guide to Crafting the Future. You can follow her at TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at Chawonku. That's C-H-A-W-E-O-N-K-O-O. And be sure to check out her YouTube channel and her podcast on YouTube, witches and wine links to everything can be found in the liner notes accompanying this episode as well as on rendering unconscious's main website renderingunconscious.org you can also follow me on social media at raw sin underscore that's r-a-w-s-i-n underscore at instagram and twitter and Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, 23, at TikTok. To support the podcast, you can support us at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. Thank you so much to all of our Patreon supporters. Your support is so very appreciated. Hi, it's so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on Rendering Unconscious. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to hear about your new book. How did it come about? What made you come up with this idea? Uh, so as for Spellbound, it happened because I tell people this, and this is um, kind of a joke, but it's not. But I was following my human design So I'm like really into an esoteric system called human design. And I describe it sort of as a type, a subgenre of astrology. And um, I really started getting into it. And it basically said like, you need to kind of like lean back for me personally, I need to like lean back and like, just like kind of let life happen to me. And so I was just like, cool. So I like radically followed that. And then one day randomly, like I get this email from the publishing company that would later publish my book. And they basically were just like, we would like you to write a book. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And then my human design chart also said, hey, if you get like some sort of like thing that you think that you want, because for years I had been like, wow, it would be cool if I like wrote a book. Um, But my human design advice was, if you get something that you think that you want, um, actually slow it down. Like, you know, don't say yes immediately or no immediately, like spend at least, you know, a couple of days, like thinking about it, sleeping on it. So after years of being like, wow, it'd be so cool to get a book. I finally get somebody who an opportunity to write a book. They're basically like, we want you to write this. And I more or less was just like, let me think about it. Right. So for something like an entire month, I thought about it. And they followed up with me and followed up with me. And finally, I was just like, all right, let's do this. And so I worked with a really great editor named Avery. 
and worked with a really great illustrator named Kring Dimitrio. And um, I served as the writer and art director of the book. And eventually, like I would say, and by eventually, I mean like five or six months, like the book was written, the art direction was put into place. And so fortunate that last May, last May, I think, yeah, that's when the book first came out. Five or six months is not that long to write an entire book. <laughs> yeah, isn't it crazy? That's I know, right? So uh, that just shows you that uh, these things, they sometimes you just like push it out and you just go really quickly. And looking back on it, of course, I'm just like, wow, that was a very intense experience. But, you know, it's almost like giving birth, maybe like I don't remember like the pain. <laughs> So I'm just like, yeah, but during the time, like I was definitely struggling with a lot of, you know, just, I think what all writers deal with. Um, but I think also on top of that was the fact that Smith Street Books, which is my publisher, Avery, my editor, and Kring, the illustrator and I, we wanted to create something that was unlike anything else that's on the market in terms of like witchcraft books. And so the illustrations were really important to us. And like, for me, the idea of also bringing in, I would say more East Asian elements was also really big. I didn't know if there were many elements um, of East Asian anything in most magic books. Um, and if they were, it was like written from a very much like, this is a book about Taoism, or this is a book about Buddhism, or this is a book about uh, the I Ching. Like it was usually in books that were very much focused on, this is an East Asian esoteric, whatever book. But for me, I was just like, but that's not all I am, you know? And for me, it wasn't so much about East Asia as a subject, like a topic. It was it being an integrative part of my um, identity. And it was really important. I told the publisher from the very start, I want to work with an Asian illustrator. And so Kring Demetrio is uh, Filipina. So that was also very important to me that this book is East Asian in a way that's like very natural. I have lots of East Asian friends. I have lots of Asian friends. Um, and also it's just a very natural part of my personality. And I was like, let's try, let's write a book about that. Right. And so I would say that it was looking back on it, even though it took five months and it was really difficult <laughs> in retrospect. Uh, now, of course, I can just be like, oh, yeah, you know, it was fine. Um, but at the time, nobody was really sure what was going to happen with the book. Um, per, I'm going to guess that Avery, there were times where she was just like, I don't think that she's going to deliver a manuscript. So, you know, thanks to you, Avery, real MVP there. <laughs> Absolutely. But that's what makes, you know, these kinds of works so special is when it's from your kind of specific place in the world, you know, and, and like you said, you bring together kind of ancestral elements, but also kind of modern elements of witchcraft and chaos magic. And you talk about technology and like where witchcraft fits in like the digital future. That I feel is also something that I realized that so many books about magic they were either, again, just like books about um, Asian esoteric arts, if it was focused on, hey, this is a book about futurism, or this is a book about like, um, I don't know, there was a specific word that seemed to be used sometimes with magic that deals with technology. And it was oftentimes dealing with robots, 
It was oftentimes dealing with like very like obvious futurist stuff. But again, this is like, all right, I think the identity that I was trying to go for wasn't that it was just focused on the technology part, just about the futurist part, but it is a huge part of not just what I do, but what I believe are some of the most powerful witches today who don't necessarily identify as witches, but I personally consider uh, technologists, people who code, artists who are um, creating NFTs. I consider people like that to be some of the most powerful witches today. And what's to me so cool about them is that if I go and talk to somebody who's in technology about witchcraft, about the occult, nine times out of 10, they're open to it. They're down for it. They're just like, oh my God, you know, I do consider myself a witch. I do consider myself an alchemist, you know, like, and this is cool. I want to be part of this. However, if I go to somebody who says that they're part of witchcraft and try to tell them about technology, they reject it. They go, no, witchcraft is about the past. It's about nature and technology is artificial. And that always makes me chuckle because I'm like, but the occult is a technology. I literally talk about how in my book, it's a technology because technology is anything that extends human capabilities. Paper is technology. A pen is technology. Shoes are technology. And yet, if you were to ask somebody who rejects technology um, in those senses, um, like, do you think that you wearing shoes makes you less of a witch? Like, they would be confused. And so, yeah. So I, what I found was that my definition of witchcraft, my definition of witches and occultists has expanded over the years. And again, like, oftentimes people write books that are very focused on a certain topic. And same with the East Asian and the technology stuff, people... They, they seem to think that witch has this very narrow definition. And instead, what I've found over the years is that witches, some of the witchiest people that I know are actually those who they themselves wouldn't consider, like that's not the first thing that would come to their mind. And in fact, other people wouldn't necessarily call them witches either. Um, so this book was truly about what does being a witch really mean? in all the integrative ways, all the intersectional ways, all the ways that I think are just a hallmark of being a modern human being, where you're more than just one identity, where you're more than just this or that, where you have freedom and fluidity, uh, where you have agency, and where things aren't always what they seem. And I was like, this is where maybe, uh, at least in Western witchcraft and occultism, uh, it's become dogmatic in a way. And I was just like, you know, like as a atheist, lifelong atheist myself, like the dogma of like, this is my identity. This is my religion. This is my whatever has always been very, I've been very allergic to it. And so I thought, let's create something that especially young people today would relate to because they're so intersectional. And so I'm just very... I'm just very thankful that um, the book was able to come out to the world. And I'm so glad that uh, you reached out to me to talk about it, because, of course, it is something that I really enjoy talking about. Good. What did, what did you find like your process was like in making it or what kind of perspectives of your own did you find like changing and evolving as you were working on this book? 
it's interesting because a lot of times, and I talk about this in the book, a lot of times people see magic as something out there. Whereas, you know, paying taxes or like fixing, fixing the patch in the wall that's considered over here, which is different from the magic out there. I find that that's not the case whatsoever. So this is a reason why I'm one of those witches and one of those, I guess I would say I'm a spiritual person. One of those spiritual people who's like a real big fan of making money, a real big fan of doing like material and practical things because those things, those challenges that you bump up against as you're doing material things. Um, and Eastern, oftentimes Eastern spirituality, like really, you know, doubles down on this. Like that's your spiritual practice. Uh, I think it was Eckhart Tolle who said something like, listen, it's really easy to be enlightened when you go on top of a mountain and by yourself. He was like a truly enlightened person will go down and meet with their family during Thanksgiving. You know, that's how you know you're really enlightened. And it was the same thing. So writing the book, going up against the usual suspects, you know, like being blocked or procrastinating or trying to communicate more effectively with my editor and the illustrator, um, getting back like an illustration and feeling like, oh, you know, like this isn't exactly what my vision was. Sometimes like um, wanting to <laughs> chuck away the, the project and run away all these different things. These are the things that I realize is um, also part of what helps me become more of a witch. I'm a very different person today than I was even when I was uh, finished writing the book because, you know, everything, everything makes you a different person and helps you evolve. And I am actually thinking about putting out a sequel this year or maybe like early next year because I feel as though maybe it's almost going to be like a yearly thing or like each year as new and new things happen, because I would say since May of last year, radical shifts have happened in my life. And I'm going to guess that at the end of this year and next year, there's going to be other radical shifts and they're all practical, all mundane things. And so when that happens, then it's a signal. Oh, now the witchcraft is upgrading and evolving. Now the spiritual practice is evolving as well. Absolutely. And I'm sure it would be helpful for people to see kind of how you evolve, you know, in the evolution of witchcraft and how it plays out in your life and in the world, you know? Yeah. I think sometimes it seems to like, uh, maybe piss off is the, is a hard word to use. So maybe that's not the exact word, but I've noticed that there are people who, you know, in the comments of my YouTube, sometimes I'll get somebody usually a dude who says stuff like, oh, you know, getting a hot boyfriend and a, a sports car is not the point of magic, you know? And it's usually because in the video interview that I've done, and I have a YouTube channel called Witches and Wine, and I've interviewed some of who I think are the coolest occultists in the Western English speaking world. Um, Cause I'll be saying in the interview stuff like, oh, will this help me get, you know, a Lambo? Will it help me get a hot boyfriend? And I'm not joking when I like say stuff like that. I like literally want to know because to be honest, I wouldn't be doing magic if I didn't think that it could. Um, and so I'm saying it because that's what I'm going after. And then people in the comments um, sometimes will make comments back saying that that's not what magic's for. And to me, I'm just like, how do you know what magic's for? You know what I mean? It's like, 
congratulations, you know, somebody appointed you to the council, the high council of witches. It's like, you don't know what magic's for. I don't know what magic's for, but I have a feeling that it's okay if magic is different for you than it is for me. And this has also helped me over the years become a little bit less critical, I would say. Um, when I see people, especially young people, and I see how they're doing their witchcraft. And in the past, maybe when people were starting out, it wasn't as in your face because there was no TikTok, right? But nowadays, like, it seems as though every Gen Z witch has a TikTok and they share their practice. And oftentimes you're, you know, just watching it being like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, it's easy to forget uh, that maybe in the beginning we were all like that. Cause I have heard plenty of uh, occultists who seem very experienced now talking about how like back in like the early 2000s or 90s, they were part of message boards, like Yahoo message boards. And they were doing like, you know, like flame wars against each other, like on these message boards. And I'm just like, that is just as cringe as like a young witch, like doing like a, a jar spell or like a bottle spell, but not doing it completely right. Like you don't think that like being on a message board in the nineties, you know, being like, you disrespected me, you know, like um, mage one, two, five, seven, I shall throw a hex against you and your family. And that is even more cringe. You know what I mean? And so I was just like, once I had that perspective, I was like, all right, I don't need to feel like in any way like, oh, you got you got to make fun of and you got to correct these like Gen Z witches because it's sort of like, no, this is a very natural part of being a witch, um, an occultist. 90% of people who started this journey, they will not end up um, for the rest of their life, like going in as deep as maybe somebody like me. And that's totally normal. And that's been going on since the beginning of time. And let's say the 10% who decide to go deep, they will conveniently forget how cringe they were in the beginning. Um, if anything, probably Gen Z witches are least cringiest neophyte witches of all because they're like doing it in a way where they're documenting it. So they're kind of more conscious of it. Uh, but whatever the case, it's like we all go through the same phases, just like, you know, um, certain part of the hemisphere goes through the four seasons. But to criticize somebody for going through spring when you're already in your summer and autumn, I think is like, bro, you know, like, let's remember where you were at just a couple of years ago. So um, personally, I think that a lot of older occultists and witches, they're bewildered by how much influence these young people have because of social media. And I think that's what it is. They don't want to admit it, but it's not so much the witchcraft they're doing, these young people are doing, but it's the witchcraft that these young people are doing are a good excuse to not really say what it's really about. You know, it's like, let's, let's make it a talk about like how they're not doing their witchcraft right. But I'm just like, but you said in your Facebook posts that there is no right way or wrong way to do witchcraft. Oh, it's because these young people are gaining so much influence, popularity, they're basically determining the way that the conversation about witchcraft is going on TikTok, which filters down to Twitter, which filters down to Facebook. Like you can tell that the tides have come so that this new generation, this new eon is like the new set, you know? That's just the way it is. You have influence, then your influence wanes. And the new generation comes in and they build upon what you did before. That's how it's always been. 
And so the fact that what I'm seeing now is the very human side of how all these people who claim to be such wise occultists, like um, what I'm seeing is a very human side, a vulnerable side coming out, their own sense of like, what happens when they're no longer, you know, the the it set and instead this new generation is going to come in. And so seeing that and also realizing that I'm part of that set that's probably going to be, you know, like at the waning end, I'm 44 years old now. And so these 19, 20 year old witches are going to be practicing long after I'm personally gone. Um, and, and I was just like, you know what, but that's okay. Cause the evolution of the way that I do magic is, I feel as though very propelled by modernity by esoteric systems that are relatively new, like human design, which has technically only been in the world since 1987, through, um, I would say, new modalities of psychology, which I consider magic as well, new modalities of psychology dealing with like um, psychedelic therapy, like ketamine, like psilocybins, new modalities of therapy that have nothing to do with psychedelics, like internal family systems, which has been around, I think, for about 40 years now, which is evidence-based. Like the founder, Dr. Dick Schwartz, is an adjunct professor, I believe, at Harvard. Um, And by the way, um, having neuroscientists from like, I think it's UCLA saying, oh yeah, you know, like what these spiritual people were talking about, the Maya, the illusion, totally real. We have mathematical formulations to prove that. And so, whereas the way that I'm doing witchcraft, I feel more and more disconnected and dis, and I would say like more and more, like I am no longer a part of this quote unquote, strictly witchcraft group. And yet the type of magic that I'm doing, I've realized is something that resonates with a lot of other people. So this is almost like um, how modernity and technology is facilitating developing a branch of witchcraft that no one has ever seen before because technology like this didn't exist before. And to me, that's what excites me now. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many different ways we could go from there. It makes so many good points. But I would definitely have to say with your amazing TikTok and your amazing Witches and Wine uh, podcast, YouTube channel, uh, you have a lot of influence out there in the social media, social sphere as far as witchcraft. But I think this idea too, of like you said, like bringing in these other elements, you know, I'm a psychoanalyst and also a witch. And I feel like I don't like to talk to the psychoanalysts all the time because like, you know, I don't have anything to explain to them. Uh, they, they don't care about witchcraft <laughs> either. But like, I I like talking more to like people who are more interested in the arts or witchcraft and things like that. And then bringing psychoanalytic ideas in there because they actually seem to understand and appreciate the different facets. Whereas mo- mostly analysts, I feel, are more closed off. You bring up a very interesting point um, because... Interestingly enough for me, maybe because I am coming from like, let's say a primarily like magic informed perspective, it's when I talk to therapists, like I, I'm very open about this. So ever since last August, even before then, I bought an NFT, like I've mentioned that I'm really big into futurism, I'm a technologist. And so I bought some NFTs that have given me the privilege of having unlimited therapy, um, teletherapy, 
And so I've been taking advantage of it. So since August of 2022, I've had three to five therapy sessions every single week. So we're talking, I have logged in over a hundred sessions, easy um, by now. So if you can only imagine in less than a span of a year, you know, like doing a hundred, 120 sessions. And not only that, um, it's a really big focus on IFS, which I consider to be a very magical modality because literally a part of IFS, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, um, Part of IFS is when you're finally, and they call it unburdened, a part of you, you do a ritual. You offer the unburdening to one of the elements, water, fire, air, light. And in fact, uh, some of the big names in IFS, uh, maybe not officially Dick Schwartz, but I know that Dr. Falconer, he's writing a book. It's going to be published about animism and talking about how IFS uh, is supportive of this idea of animism, the supportive of an idea of external intelligences um, and how to work with things like that. And IFS is very, very uh, well meshed with psychedelic and entheogens. Um, and so those are, of course, traditionally uh, psychedelic therapy that we call it now. I mean, the ancients, our ancestors, were utilizing entheogens in a sacred way. So that's very magical in a very mystical way. It's super, super magical. Uh, people have talked about how the Oracle of Delphi was high all the time because the temple was like over some sort of like um, geothermic place where some hallucinogenic gas was coming out of it. Um, there's probably a, a case to be made that a lot of the incense that was being used back in the day it was making you trip balls. <laughs> so, and, you know, um, you go into, into indigenous culture and that's oftentimes a part of the actual ritual. You drink some sort of potion, you drink something um, that literally puts you in an altered state. Or you, you know, drink a lot of wine, you drink spirits, you drink alcohol, something like that. So for me, what I found was that so much of at least in the Western occult world that I was running around in, um, their view of magic and things like that, I was just like, okay, that's cool. I have the foundation there. But what about the world out there? The therapists, the artists, um, and now, of course, looking into the East and realizing that the concept of magic in a different part of the world, like, for example, East Asia, because I'm East Asian, I'm Korean, they have a very different concept of magic. And the idea of Western sort of magic is almost alien to them right now. Um, I talk about in a TikTok that I did how the word witch, the, the way that modern Western people say witch, that word is new. Like Koreans have to develop a whole ass new word to talk about witches because we have shamans like we know that but shamans are not exactly what we would consider witches like there's a nuance there so there's new vocabulary that's literally being developed right now about what is a witch uh, versus like what's like an indigenous shaman um, what does it mean if you're working with the goetia you know um, are there words to describe it no so the projects that i'm doing currently right now are an offshoot of my book 
which is an offshoot of the fact that what happens if you're trying to straddle both Eastern and Western culture, when you're trying to straddle both the past and the future, and you're trying to straddle all these intersections of not just like grimoires, but also bringing in these like other magical modalities, whether it is what our ancestors use in terms of entheogens or what's being used right now, which is like Western psychology or what's being used um, maybe not even in a real world, you know, doing creating a type of hyper sigil. Uh, what Grant Morrison talked about is being a hyper sigil, which can be a written work of art um, or just art in general to create magic. Like, how do we do all that sort of stuff? Yeah, that's wonderful. And I feel like I also, I feel totally dead inside whenever I'm around like the Western occultists that have all these like hierarchies and initiatory steps that you have to like go through to be in your little club or whatever. It's just all like an old white guy's club, in my opinion. (laughs) It's just like magical covering, but it's just, uh, yeah, they just make me feel dead inside. So anytime I've bumped up, encountered them, I just kind of go running the other way. Uh, I grew up in Miami me so I'm much more used to like people like Santeria and things like that mm-hmm. um and yeah that's what that's what I know you've interviewed like Jesse Hathaway Diaz he's my godfather and that and um yeah and then David Shi I love David Shi as well he's amazing uh so you've had such amazing people on your on your podcast on your YouTube channel and I think right now also like there's kind of an urgency that we're all living in with like climate crisis and everything that like this kind of really slow like whatever right hand pathway of like going through like initiatory steps and everything it's like we don't have time for that you know I don't feel like we have time for that I'm much more interested in like shedding these kinds of ideas of like what you have to do according to somebody else and really finding like your own personal kind of intuition and your own personal power you also interviewed Matt Aaron and he talked about um in his book you know that like extrasensory perception and things like that these aren't like supernatural things that are like out there they're all like things that we have within us um and they're perfectly natural in that way and I thought that was really interesting as well yeah, I've I've been very privileged to speak to again some of the coolest occultists in the English speaking world. And even before I got on TikTok, um, I had spent like the previous four years, something like that, like basically a university sort of career, it felt like, almost like attending an Ivy League school about all sorts of witchcraft. And so um I think one of the the great things about having a podcast and talking to many different types of people who are doing all different sorts of magic is when you're talking to people who are so experienced and passionate about their particular lane, then, you know, naturally when you're talking to them, you're researching about them, you're researching their tradition, and you're hearing it straight from that person, like how this has affected their lives. Um, And so after doing it for like four years, eventually, like in the beginning of my YouTube career, I suppose, I very much felt as though I have nothing to add to the conversation. But it was after four years of reading everybody's book, you know, studying all this stuff, getting super curious, talking to the people, going to conferences, et cetera, et cetera. It was only after then that I felt as though I had something to say. And I think this is what uh, a lot of people today in this like 
what is it like a fast food sort of like a you know, like you can cram in like using AI, you can cram in like all this information in like two minutes, you know, like this is what I think a lot of people may be forgetting. You need some time to marinate in these ideas. I think that even if I had done exactly what I did with my YouTube channel, but I try to compress it, it wouldn't have worked. There had to be some space for me to really contemplate what I was learning. And I had to have like periods, like right now, um, it's been a while since I put up a new interview. Like I had to have time in between also to let things marinate. So I think that is sort of what I'm seeing as a a sickness in the world that's making people desperately unhappy. And yet they don't realize almost like an addicted being that every time they're trying to go after this uh, make happy uh, version of spirituality of life that is actually the opposite of the reason why they're doing it and so when you mentioned that you know we just don't have time to to kind of mess around anymore because the world is different and the world we're heading towards like a very uncertain age 100 percent. not to sound like a doomsday person um, but i don't need to be a psychic to know that the way that the world is patterning itself is at a point where I'm just like, very quickly, the things that we take for granted right now, they're not going to exist. There's not enough resources. There's not enough whatever to keep it existing. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is going to be a bad thing for most people because people cannot deal with change. People can't deal with chaos. Here's the thing about chaos, though. Those who can roll with the chaos will thrive will absolutely thrive. Chaos is where famously fortunes are made. Chaos is where influence is made. TikTok really blew up during the pandemic, during lockdowns, during this time of chaos. Some people, um, they decided to take this time. And I consider myself to be part of this cohort of people who decided I'm gonna like jump on this. And I remember when I first told people, and I've been giving away this like, <laughs> quote unquote advice for free um, from day one. I was just like, guys, everybody get on TikTok. This is a new thing. If you're not on TikTok, you're going to lose influence. You're going to like fade away. You're going to, you have to get on TikTok. I remember the amount of blowback that I got. People were writing like very, like sub tweeting, but on Facebook, like, you know, I can't stand him. And people like are saying stuff like this. And then now those same people were saying that are making TikToks because now they have to. And I'm just like, you could have just done it three years ago when I was talking about it. Um, and so when people ask me about, you know, how did you build your platform? I say, part of it is that I was, I was early. That's what it was. And also my mindset was different at that time. I knew that things were changing. And the reason why I knew it was changing is because of witchcraft, literally because of witchcraft magic. I think that the way that a lot of people practice is that witchcraft is a replacement religion for them, or it's another sort of dogmatic system or security blanket for them. 
for me, because I started off as an atheist and I still am an atheist, witchcraft was the uncomfortable. It was the anti-security blanket. It was the anti-fragile blanket. It was a radical deconditioning. It was everything that I found annoying that I didn't want to look at, but I decided I had to. And therefore, I had spent four years developing anti-fragility and thinking of anti-security. Magic to me was never about making my life feel like, oh, yeah, you know, but don't worry. You've lost your job. You don't have money and stuff, but you can always do magic. It was never about that for me. Magic instead was for me like, okay, I'm going to decondition using magic and then these magic techniques are going to be a platform, like a, a foundation for me to then figure out what to do next, right? And so when people were just like, oh, you think that like getting a hot boyfriend in a Lambo is point of magic? And I was like, yeah, for me it was. Because the thing is, is that anytime somebody would say things like, oh, you know, magic is this or magic isn't that. Magic can only help you do this. It's not going to help you do that. Why would you want this? Why would you not want that? And I'd just be like, why are you trying to condition me with your personal perspective? Which, by the way, was probably due to culture, family, messages that you ingested. Why are you trying to condition me? Why? So magic was always there for me to basically put thorns on my head, to put a pebble in my shoe. Uh, and to make me gain blisters that would eventually harden into calluses. Um, this made magic relatively unpleasant for me. But it was through the unpleasantness, which most people hate doing, um, that I think helped me see that things like TikTok, New Age, things like Web3, Blockchain, New Age, and Again, that's another part that people, especially like people in the occult, in which they seem to pride themselves on the fact that they're anti-technologists and, you know, they'll be very against um, blockchain technology and Web3 technology, not realizing because, you know, just because I used to be working full time in the industry um, that I follow the news every day, the technology news, and I see where it's going in ways that the average American doesn't know because I'm constantly reading the news. I'm constantly looking at charts, like financial charts. And so I'm just like, if you guys only knew what I knew, then this is, this is a foregone conclusion. But again, how did I even get myself to that point? It was through the deconditioning of magic. And P.S., there's a whole lot of occultists who are actually uh, really successful at trading, like we're talking financial trading, who, and a lot of financial people, a lot of these like crypto bros, they may not realize it, but they're using occult techniques on trying to predict the markets. They're using literal techniques uh, where they're trying to forecast the markets and it's straight up occult. Um, so all the sort of separation that people think exists in life, magic is out there and the mundane is right here does not exist in the real world. It only exists in a hypothetical, clear, like super easy, like not complicated at all and therefore unrealistic model that exists in a lot of people's heads. But the real world, it's actually a quite different story. Yeah, exactly. And those fantasies they have is just from conditioning, as you said, and different cultural ideas. Um, I love the idea of radical deconditioning. That's totally where it's at. And of course it can help in practical matters. Like a lot of, magical traditions and folk magic traditions exist exactly because people were going through hard times and, the, and they had difficult circumstances and they used magic to give themselves personal power to be able to survive, you know? 
Yeah, I don't understand why people in the West, they fetishize Eastern spiritual traditions, not realizing just how material-minded Eastern Asian tradition or culture is. And maybe that's also another reason why this is like not a big deal to me. You go into any sort of Eastern Asian sort of thing. And I feel as though maybe just to like make it more palatable to Westerners, they strip out a lot of the material aspects of um, these Eastern traditions, but it's like, it's very normal and it's so okay in Eastern esoteric thought to be very interested in material things. Um, that's how it's practiced. That's literally how it's practiced. Sure, there's a highfalutin idealistic stuff, but it's not real. And that romantic fetishization that Westerners have been caught up in, it's deeply annoying because then they want to explain to me and other people like me who are from that culture, no, that's that's not what it is. It's like, it sure is. You know, it actually is. You know, I've seen it with my own eyes. I've lived it for like four decades. And it's all the invisible parts to a Westerner about Eastern culture that is so obvious to an Eastern person because they've lived it. It's a very different vibe than what so many Westerners do. That's one of the reasons why like it's sometimes difficult for me to try to get up the motivation to explain my position uh, because I'm just like, I, I don't feel like it. I don't have to justify like my lived experience as literally somebody from that culture who's like actually also lived um, in that culture didn't just read about it in books, but live it, you know, I can go to, you know, like the other day I was watching um, this K-pop boy bands, like um, they have like a YouTube channel where they do like comedy skits basically. And just being like, you know, people in America and in Europe, they like act like, oh my God, like Vine and TikTok and stuff, these young people, we don't understand it not realizing that in East Asia, like they've been doing this. They've been doing this since like the early 2000s. Things that are like so new and so radical in, in the West, like VTubers um, live streaming, you know, um, these like, oh my God, like influencers are like this thing that Kylie Jenner invented. No, they've been around in East Asia for longer. And also East Asia has a way bigger population than America. So believe me, like that, that entire concept um, and that entire thing of influencing, it's already been. And yet when it happens like in the West, all of a sudden it's like this new thing. It's like, so, but then they look into the East and say, no, no, no. But East Asian culture is about the past. It's like, you know, traditional costumes and traditional this and traditional that. And I'm just like, do you guys realize that these Korean shamans in Korea, like straight up Korean, Korean shamans, a whole slew of them, they have YouTube channels where literally their YouTube username will be their name plus their cell phone number so that you can quickly get in contact with them. You pay for these like dunks, right? And if you don't, they're just gonna be like, get out of here, right? Like everything's material. Oh, you want your kid to get into a good college? Of course you're gonna go to Mudang, right? They're so practical. 
And they're utilizing technology and they've been utilizing technology in a way that I don't think that Western occultists and spiritual people really understand. And yet they will just constantly sing the praises of how Eastern spirituality is in so many ways, like this like really beautiful, pure spirituality. And I'm like, your pure spirituality uses drones in Buddhist temples, is utilizing social media, plastic surgery, uh, technology, to entice people to open their wallets and to do mundane things like have a successful new business blessed by a shaman, have their kids get into like a good university, uh, have a marriage be blessed, very mundane things. So this could be the fact that the radical deconditioning means that you very, very soberly look at the world, not how you want it to be, but how it actually is. And so you're, when you get to that point where you're just like, I want to see what the world is really like, then you start just out of cur pure curiosity, gathering information, um, just stuff, just to see what it's like. You get interested in new technology, new platforms, uh, and then life just happens to throw in your way people who are giving you new perspectives, whatever. And then after all, you're just like, oh, well, you know, I was living in a world of ignorance before, and now I'm starting to see how ignorant I was. And when that happens and you feel this real discomfort, you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Cringe how ignorant I was. And also, wow, like I don't feel safe because I realize just how little I know, how much information is being not only withheld from me, but also that I may not even know that I don't know. Um, when that insecurity is constantly your bedfellow, I'm just like, yeah, I think that's one magic, you know that you're living the magical mindset, you're always uncomfortable. You're always questioning yourself. You're always like, I don't know anything. Um, and the only thing that you know is that, I don't know. That's that's what I think you know. Oh, wait a second, that's actually a good sign that I may be actually getting into witchcraft and the occult. The way that maybe at the purest sense, that may be the only thing that I can really say for sure is like what I know about witchcraft and the occult yeah that i don't know <laughs> and i'm uncomfortable and i don't know anything yeah exactly yeah i love that and i feel like that uh maybe the separation between the material and this idea that you're supposed to like overcome and just be spiritual to me that sounds very like monotheist and this idea that we're like better than the earth separate from the earth better than the kind of animals and things like that and like this uh, essential separation and that we're it's, we're supposed to like you know suffer in this life so we can attain some better thing after this life or something like that to me it just seems very I don't know not realistic but uh, I love like LaVey and Satanism and things <laughs> very much like into the material world as well and I, I've seen that you've posted that when you talk about working with demons and things you get a lot of comments and people like worried for you and worried for your soul and how you're going to do it's so to me I just laugh um first of all I don't see half the comments because I have this wonderful social media manager um who basically like cleans up the comments for me and stuff so I'm just like all right, people who are basically decide to come in and I don't know, like put in their worries and are going to be negative or like project their fears onto me. It's like, I don't know what to say besides like, you guys are kind of like 
unpaid interns for me because you're only making my algorithm more powerful, which is really interesting, right? Um, but as for me, I just know what I know because my own firsthand experience, which may be different from other people. But I'm an atheist. Yes, I'm a witch, but I'm an atheist. Like, that's what I am, ultimately. And the fact that people are coming to me and saying, how can you do magic if you don't believe? It's made me realize that the marketing, the, the sort of like, I want to feel secure. I want to, I want a complicated life to become simplified so that I feel better. Um, I want a sort of infantile sort of mentality because real life is too complex um, and therefore dumb it down. And I'm going to call it spirituality, make it feel palatable. And I'm going to call it spirituality, make it simplified or ridiculously complicated, but in the most like, like non-effective way, just because, you know, for no real logical reason. Um, and then I'll call it magic. You know, it's these things to me are what worry me. <laughs> you know, it's not demons, which to me are just aspects of these mysterious either parts of myself or usually parts of myself. Although I'm also open to the idea, like, like uh, how Dr. Falconer was talking about animism, whatever. But these things, they don't, when I think about all the things in the world that I should be afraid of, I'm just like, or hell, like people are just like, you're going to go to hell. And I'm just like, already here. You know what I mean? So these things that other people seem to be so afraid of, these invisible things, I'm just like, if you're afraid of invisible things, I think you're afraid of yourself. You're afraid of like the parts of yourself that you know exist in the back of your mind, but you can't bring forth for whatever reason. And to me, that's the true power of something like magic. To me, magic is a radical, not only deconditioning system, but it's also radical shadow work. And shadow work, not as in like the shadow that's the bad side of you, the, the devil on the shoulder. I mean, shadow is in literally the parts of yourself that you didn't possibly even know that existed. You're putting light on a part that was in the shadow before. Um, and I think a lot of psychologists, uh, they would agree that so much of the battle is acknowledging that something exists. Like that's the reason why naming a problem um, and kind of bringing it into consciousness, that in itself is perhaps one of the most powerful things a person can do. Like you don't have to actively try to solve things. Um, oftentimes they resolve themselves because you're putting your attention on it and you're acknowledging that it actually exists. Uh, this is the reason why when people um, on social media who are doing social justice, yes, yeah, sometimes it can be really intense. And sometimes I'm just like, oh, my God, you know, but at the same time, I think they're also acknowledging that you can't just be like, you know, how a lot of people are just like, if you talk about it, it makes it worse. It's like, no, that's not how it works. Um, literally, the comparison is, is that. You know, you talk about it and it feels worse because you're acknowledging it because healing is chaotic. But believe me, not acknowledging it is what actually makes it worse. So it's the same thing, you know. Um, and so what magic does is it already offers us a perspective of a world that is beyond what society tells us. And so for us to not take advantage of that, that magical mindset, which I describe as like being in a very liminal place, which again, most people find to be chaotic, scary, um, and therefore they like revert back to their conditioning. 
even if they claim that they're against like modern modes of like structure, I'm anti-capitalist. I'm anti-Christian or Abrahamic religion. I'm anti this, you know, I'm anti that. To me, I'm just like, yeah, that doesn't really matter if like your perspective is I'm anti that, but I'm taking that same mentality and I'm funneling it through this new system that I've created, you know, same shit, different day. So doesn't really matter versus somebody who decides to completely shatter or start to deconstruct that mentality. You're anti-capitalist. Okay. Deconstruct it. And then what, you know? Then that's a whole different thing. And me personally, I don't think that the modalities I'm using today, which to a lot of people would seem like a lot of just like psychology and stuff and not quote unquote magic. I could not have done the psychology that I am, the therapy that I'm doing today, if I didn't have magic first. Because I can't think of another system, including therapy, including psychology, that has the power to radically decondition the mind like magic like the occult like i just cannot think of any other system yeah i love that and i do think they fit together really nicely um and i love that you were able to have this time carved out like three to five times a week to be able to focus it's a full-time job yeah it's great though because i'm in psychoanalysis that's the kind of traditional psychoanalysis you go like four or five times a week and uh, it's really amazing to be able to carve that time out for yourself just to reflect on these things and do this kind of work. It really can be very life-changing. And this is what I've realized. Um, the more I go deeper into my current modality of magic, which is focused a lot on uh, this IFS therapy and then um, utilizing entheogens in a therapeutic setting, like um I don't do, I don't take um, these drugs in a recreational way. They're done in a definitely therapeutic uh, setting guided by trained therapists, et cetera. Although, you know, I know people who have very successfully utilized it in a more DIY way um, and done it recreationally that has led to, you know, serendipitously leading to some sort of therapeutic benefits. But um, for me, what I've realized the more and more I do this is, it's unfair in so many ways that I get to have the resources and the privilege to do this. I'm able to do this, why? Because of technology. Because I bought an NFT and you can buy an NFT now for something like $200. And that $200 NFT, and in my Discord, I like list all the deets. I tell people exactly which NFT, $200 NFT, you know, it's a certain project, you buy it. Sure, you need to learn how to like create a wallet. You need to learn how to fund it with crypto. And some people may not be able to afford 200, which is extremely unfair. But I think a lot of people who are into magic, they could find a way to learn how to fund a MetaMask wallet and to get a $200 NFT, which then gives them access to this same unlimited therapy that I have access to. I can only do this because I've leveraged technology. I've leveraged knowing about this thing. It's in the uh, crypto world, it's called alpha. When you're given like information first, you're given alpha. It's because I was given alpha. Why was I given alpha? It's because I was able to decondition myself thanks to magic and then be able to somehow get into a, a world, like to run around in circles 
to the point where I found circles that were like, hey, by the way, there's this NFT where you get it. And one of the utilities is that you get unlimited. You could, If I wanted to, I could have therapy all day long um, in this. I mean, it's with a certain sort of like group, a stable of therapists. But I mean, I can do that. That's the utility of the NFT. And it's not going to last forever because nothing lasts forever. And so I've been urging people. I've been, this is not a secret. Like I've been telling people this, like just yelling from the top of my top of my lungs on top of a roof because I'm experiencing it firsthand the same way that I was saying this about TikTok, yelling it top of my lungs, top of the roof, because I'm experiencing it myself. And I'm telling people. And what I'm finding is that so many people, not just people who are in the occult, but just people in general, they just, they don't want to hear it or they hear it, then they do nothing about it. And I think that's another great thing that magic has taught me. When you're doing ritual, you learn that the action, the direct action that you take can create amazing ripples in your life. There is a difference between, and we've all heard that term like armchair occultist just somebody who like in their own mind they like to imagine that they're doing ritual but they don't actually do it i have a feeling that armchair occultist is actually we can just expand it to like armchair human being you know and i think that's a lot of people and a lot of it i think is based around conditioning but what happens when you do magic when somehow even though you're like oh am i even doing this right i I'm not used to doing this thing. It feels almost like a lot of effort to do it. And also, I don't want to do it and then get zero results, which would be very disappointing. So it's a protection thing as well. But what happens if you go into magic so deep, which is something that I've experienced and a lot of people I think have experienced, where you get into magic and you go into it so deep that you're doing ritual after ritual. And for me, the easiest ritual, the ritual that I felt most aligned to doing were rituals dealing with demons. To me, like demon magic has been the most natural fit. Demon magic, planetary magic. Um, and for to do everything, like anything in life, you know, just to do ritual after ritual, sometimes like doing it every single day, much like I'm doing with therapy now. What happens if you do rituals, magic rituals every day, like for like six months, a year, two years, four years, five years, what happens when that happens? then what you learn is a different way to move through the world. All of a sudden, you have four or five years of firsthand experience that you can do action in the material world. You can build whatever it is, your altar. You can do a spell. You can prepare for a spell for days. You can like write a petition, whatever it is. You can literally do action in the world, and it's going to affect your life. And so it's only natural that like, just like in magic, I was like, I did a ritual, and then it made changes in my life. I hear about this thing and I'm immediately going to put some action on it, right? I'm going to immediately like do at least some sort of research and then I'm going to be more likely to then take the risk. Creating a MetaMask wallet is risky. Most of the ways, the tutorials online on how to like fund, put cryptocurrency, put ETH into your MetaMask wallet, let alone create one, confusing, confusing because, you know, technical people, engineers are sometimes the worst communicators, right? And so I have definitely made mistakes and lost some money because I set up my mask, like my MetaMask wallet, like in a way that was like too complex, whatever. So, I mean, it's risk-taking in all sorts of ways. And yet I had already been conditioned or deconditioned, sorry, by magic. And 
I had learned through firsthand experience through magic on how to be a risk taker. And so you don't have to just see it as like spirituality as this like abstract thing that magic, it only gives you a way to disassociate from pain. Magic truly is this anti-fragility potion. And I don't think I would have been able to take the risk of going into like Web3, especially when I got into it, like two years ago, there was even less resources than there are today. Going in there and bumping into things and taking the initiative to learning all these things by yourself and not having anybody like hold your hand. Um, I could not have done it if I had not done magic first. I couldn't do anything that I do today if I hadn't done magic very deeply for a good three, four years, five years. Now coming up to, I started my YouTube channel probably in 2017 or something like that. And I was, yeah, five years, six years now. Well, we're coming up to the end of the hour. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention that you didn't get to put in there yet? Oh, I just noticed it's just started snowing. How pretty. <laughs> it was snowing yesterday in New York City. Uh, flurries, should I say. Ah, well, excuse me. I would say that, you know, the magical journey that I am on is a journey of erasing a certain sort of boundary that society has put on. Um, it's a type of queering of life because I feel as though being queer is, if we want to take the definition of being queer and expand it and put it, infuse it into our DNA, it's also, again, like not seeing magic as something out there or like a binary to like regular life, magic life, regular life, magic life. So we can learn a lot from people who identify as being queer and you may think, oh, this has to do with like sexual identity, um, their sexual life, their gender, all that stuff. And it's like, but there's still it's the same way that you can learn from a technologist or a therapist or an artist about things that will inform your life. You can do the same with people who are queer. And it's realizing that magic doesn't have to just stay in one place. And actually, when you make things in your life, everything in your life magical, then, I mean, literally, your life is magical. That's literally the definition of having a magical life. And sometimes having that magical life means it's beyond just these, like, rituals that have been passed down in grimoires or that, you know, some civilization back in, like, 40 AD um, or CE that they've done and you got to follow it exactly or just something that you saw on TikTok about, you know, like creating some sort of bottle or something like that. Sometimes magic is creating systems of business. Sometimes magic is creating systems of technology. Sometimes magic is doing a new type of dance or art. Sometimes magic is parenting in a radically different way than you are parented. When we expanded into something like that, then the anti-fragility that magic can teach us, it feels far more grounded and real. I mean, I always tell people like, what's the point of being human? You know what I mean? Like 
if all we're going to do in spirituality is, oh, don't like the body, you know, the body is like dirty and it's weak and we want to be spiritual. And I'm just like, yeah, then what was the point of us? Like, why did we decide that we were going to incarnate, right? Carne, meat. What made us decide that we were going to get into this meat suit? If like we literally were spirits before, there was no reason for us. Okay. We could have just stayed spirit. We could have just like gone around in the ether, whatever the hell we were doing before. What was the point of being human? I don't know. But what I do know is that this is a very limited ride to be human. And for some reason, um, decided to have this like meat suit. Okay. What can we do to make this meat suit ride as I would say eventful as possible, you know, eventful in our own specific ways. And for some people, their definition of eventful may be different from mine, but how do we like make sure that when we go back to being like a spirit or energy, we can just be like, yeah, like being a human, that was a really cool experience. And maybe in the next incarnation, we'll be an alien. I don't even know. But the thing is, is that for me personally, what I'm finding is that magic, it is a tool like a hammer or a screwdriver, a nail gun, but magic is not the house. Magic is kind of like a map. You know, the map is not the terrain. I want to build a house. And that house is about a certain sort of like truth is a certain sort of, that's what I'm building. Magic is there to help me build that house. But once I build a part of it, let's say it's magic as a nail gun. Once I use like nails and stuff, and maybe I'm at like a window part of the house now, I don't need to use magic. I can put the nail gun down and I can pick up another tool that deals with the actual glass so it doesn't break. And there's nothing wrong with that. People treat magic like the house. They treat magic like it's the whole enchilada. And to me, it's not. We need to decide what house we're gonna build because we need many tools to build the house that we want. People who only depend on magic, it's like, oh yeah, if it's only a nail gun and that's the only tool you have, what's gonna happen when you get to the point where you have mirrors and windows? You're gonna live in a house that has no mirrors or no windows? Is that what's gonna happen? Because nail guns are gonna break everything like that. No, you need other tools as well. And so once we can expand our mind to be like, all right, what sort of house do I want to build? Then you start collecting the tools that you need and you start living in that house, like living in different parts of the house in a different way. And that's okay. Like you don't have to like do nail gun stuff constantly in your house either. You can like, you know, like take a nap on a couch in your house. That has nothing to do with magic. And that doesn't mean anything about you as a, a witch or an occultist. You're still a witch or a cultist if you're not always handling the nail gun. Um, basically, my life has now been shifted into building that house and talking about the different tools to build my house and trying to see like, hey, like what sort of house do you want to build? Like what sort of tools that you need? And so in that sense, I, I wouldn't blame it. I wouldn't blame other people for thinking that like you're starting to move away from magic even though I'm not. It's just that I'm starting to build other parts of the house that don't require the nail gun as much. Um, but I still have the nail gun. I still love the nail gun. The nail gun has made building a house way easier. So I would say that for me, the projects that I'm doing in these upcoming years, um, they're going to be a lot more of a mix of things. They're going to be a lot more like an amalgamation. And 
I'm telling you guys, you don't have to be psychic to know the world is going to plunge deeper and deeper into chaos. This is nothing. This is just a lead up into a new world of, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, for example, things like trash pickup, you think that citywide, statewide, like these services, they're always going to be there. I don't think so. And I don't have to be psychic to know that. It's just natural that like, you know, as we go through into a world where like all these diseases and stuff are going to start coming out. And that's just a fact. This lockdown that we had, there's going to be many versions of it or like new versions of it in the future. You think the city is going to be able to or any your local municipality is going to be able to like carry out these functions? Do you think all neighborhoods are going to be like that? Or do you think that some people it's going to be like, um, what is it, BlackRock, you know, like that? The, the U.S. military has their, like, military, but then they hire, like, private mercenaries and stuff? Or do you think private mercenaries are going to be picking up trash and only to a certain group of people? Do you think that the Internet, globalization, things like that, things that require all these different countries to work together, do you think that's going to really survive in the future? I don't think so. And this has nothing to do with, like, feeling like, um, oh, my God, you know, the world is going to go into like complete and utter like dark ages. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not trying to say that things you should be fearful. What I'm saying is things are going to change. The things that we take for granted right now, they may not exist in the next 10 to 15 years. Already things that we thought existed, banks. I mean, what? Some of the two biggest like bank failures that happened like in history, they happened in the past week. You think the financial system is going to stay the same in the next like 10 years? Absolutely not. Things are going to change. Chaos feels like the dark ages. Chaos feels very scary to most people. But that's because they've lived life not deconditioning. I truly believe that magic, the occult, radical deconditioning is the greatest insurance that you have in the future. I believe that those who decondition themselves in that way are going to be able to thrive in the future. There's opportunity in every sort of element of chaos. I would like to see myself surrounded by people who are thriving um, in these upcoming years, decades of chaos. Kids being born today, it won't be chaos to them because that's the system that they were born into. But for us, it's going to feel like chaos unless we radically decondition ourselves. I believe that in the next five years, the chaos is going to reach a real crescendo. And so many of the people that we know now are going to suffer greatly because they are so rigid and they're like clinging to magic and they're clinging to government and they're clinging to globalization and they're clinging to the red cross they're clinging to the federal government they're clinging to banking systems they're clinging to local municipalities picking up trash on tuesdays they're clinging to that and i'm they're clinging to the internet like it's always going to be on like it's always going to be a certain way and it's like i don't think it's going to happen that way and some people are going to be scared of that and i see it as eh, it is what it is but there's going to be people when that's happening they're going to create new systems and they're going to thrive. And there's going to be a community of people who are going to thrive because of it. And I would really like for there to be less suffering in the world and for people to be part of that group of people, just like in the dark ages, quote unquote, dark ages in Europe, our stereotype is that everybody was like poor and starving and like dying of the plague. There were pockets of communities all around Europe who are thriving. There are pockets of the world 
you know, the Arabic world was thriving when Europe was like going through the dark ages. So, you know, this is not like an all out straight up, like, oh, it's going to be horrible, but people are going to suffer uh, because the conditioning is going to come in. But guess what happened after the dark ages? It was the Renaissance. So I think that there's going to be a dark ages and Renaissance going on at the same time. And I think that magic is probably the fastest, most efficient, um, most powerful way to make sure that as the world changes, that you're part of the group that's in the Renaissance rather than plunging into the scary dark ages. That's my message. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Chao Wan Ku. For more, visit her TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube channel at Chao Wan Ku. And be sure to check out her book, Spellbound, A New Witch's Guide to Crafting the Future. Coming up on April 16th, is our next event in the Psychoanalysis, Art, and the Occult series at Morbid Anatomy Museum Online. We'll have Anders Lundgren presenting Westworld, Anton LaVey's Total Environments, Gamification, and Ghosts in the Machines, and Swedish artist River presenting on Caligula as a Dionysian affirmation of life. For more information, visit psychartcult.org. That's P-S-Y-C-H-A-R-T-C-U-L-T dot org. You can also visit morbidanatomy.org forward slash events. Many thanks to Carl Abrahamson for providing the music for Rendering Unconscious Podcast. And now a song from a collaboration I did with Pete Murphy called I've Encountered You from the album Variations of Chaos. This song's available streaming on Spotify and other streaming services, as well as at Pete Murphy's Bandcamp page. That's petemurphy.bandcamp.com. P-E-T-E-M-U-R-P-H-Y dot bandcamp dot com. You can also visit Swedish independent record label Highbrow Lowlife at highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com. All music at Highbrow Lowlife is free download, name your price. So enjoy. We exit our daily program, our daily narrative. I've encountered you. Creation may take place with witches oil in a new way. Thoughts, basic astrology, minds, giving it new life and eventually We've created room for something new to grow, psychological, further, a gap, sacrifice, under the wheels, a battery, 
forgotten, pale, twisting thighs, penny arcades, just to be my wife. Eventually, their body has to die so they don't talk. Impulse. <laughs>